Summer is here, and we're as busy as ever at the DSR Network. Our podcast schedule has expanded to include the DSR Daily Brief, DSR Foreign Policy, DSR Politics, the DSR Spy Show, Words Matter, Foreign Office with Michael Weiss, Next in Foreign Policy, and The Secret Life of Cookies. To celebrate our expansion, we're bringing you this special offer. Through the month of June, membership is 50% off. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, bonus content across all of our podcasts, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. To take advantage of this offer, visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRexpands, all one word. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRexpands. Thank you for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into another cycle for not just elections, but Norm, apparently shenanigans. Today we had, um, I'm just going to be very honest with listeners because I'm sure that many of you have already been made well aware of some of the recent Supreme Court decisions, not just in uh, cases around affirmative action, but we also have a decision in and I'm going to try to remember that I believe it's called the Smith case. I'm trying to remember the name of the plaintiff in the case with forcing a website designer uh, to who uh, brought a gay couple as a kind of a mystery shopper couple for an interior decorator to which the designer disagreed with taking care of a client. And anyhow, in getting ready for today's podcast, both in reading, I'm still working my way two thirds through the several hundred pages of both the majority and dissent opinions in the affirmative action case. And now we're getting the breaking news on some of the like cases that were released on the day of this recording. I will say, Norm, I had <clears throat> for the first time in trying to get ready for this podcast, like a nauseous feeling in my stomach. And I'll go into why I was um, nauseous about this. But it's not something that happens to me often, and and I, it leaves me trying to give our listeners, and what I'm hoping you can do, Norm, is I'm hoping you can give us a little bit of a North Star to look towards, because it's, it's looking more and more grim. And just for, the, for, the, for those who are listening, in the Supreme Court case, it's Creative LLC versus Alenis. So it, it's Lori Smith who wanted to expand her graphic design business called Creative LLC, the plaintiff, to include services for couples seeking wedding websites. Um, And she was worried that Colorado's Anti-Discrimination Act would compel her to create websites celebrating um, same-sex marriages. And we will get into that in our bonus content. So this is a plug for people to become members. Um, But first up is the decision that literally made me 
turn my stomach around affirmative action. Norm, I, I want to tell why I have this feeling um, a little later. Give yeah. me your thoughts and give me some hope that that nauseous feeling I have is something that I can do better with. I may be able to do a tiny bit of that, uh, Kavita. Um, I was uh, certain that this would be the outcome of the affirmative action case and pretty certain that it would be uh, six to three. Um, a part of it uh, was a couple of the earlier decisions that seemed to move in a slightly different direction, including uh, redistricting case uh, uh, that uh, uh, basically will create at least a couple more majority-minority districts. Uh, and I thought this is John Roberts trying to uh, take a little bit of the bad taste out of the mouths of people when he did the affirmative action decision, which he wrote, because he's still a little bit concerned about the reputation of a court whose reputation is in tatters, mm -hmm. thanks in significant part to uh, the uh, refusal of the chief justice to do anything about massive ethics violations, but also the widespread sense now that this is a court gone rogue in a radical direction. So with all of that, we also know that for John Roberts, this is the logical culmination of a career-long uh, desire to remove any protections for minorities, for African Americans especially, that goes back to his visceral hatred for the uh, Voting Rights Act that he displayed when he was in the Justice Department back long before he became a judge. And it was on display with the Shelby County case, which remains a stain on this uh, court. Uh, it's there now with affirmative action. Um, just uh, for a minute, I want to step back. Uh, I, uh, you know, my family sponsors a uh, summer debate camp for public school kids in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, the camp this year, which will be the ninth, it starts on July 17th. Um, we're going to have 200 public school kids, the vast majority from Title I schools, mm -hmm. a very large share of people from working class or very disadvantaged backgrounds. They learn debate. They learn debate skills. They learn life skills. And uh, we do a college fair and the colleges flock to them because they know that kids who learn debate um, are not going to be phased by anything and are going to do well at college. At the end, we do a, uh, a tournament and then we do an award ceremony. And I always say this, I believe in equal opportunity. There's nothing equal when some people start 25 yards behind the starting blocks and other people start 25 yards ahead. And our whole goal here is to get people up to the starting blocks. And I see some of these kids who have immense talent and all the tools to make themselves into big successes in life. And you're giving them what they need to be able to reach that point. There are so many others who don't get that opportunity and don't get those tools. 
And that's what affirmative action does for people. So this is just a terrible, I mean, it's great for debate because these kids now are going to have even more opportunities because colleges can seize on that reality. Uh, But for so many others, it isn't going to work. The only positives I see coming out of this, Kavita, are Mm -hmm. one, now you're getting a broader consensus, although I doubt very much it will shake Harvard or Princeton uh, or Stanford, uh, a, a reaction against legacy admissions. Uh, the idea that people are admitted to a an elite school because their parents or other relatives went there, not because they have the qualifications or qualities that would enable them to get in otherwise. And that's... Uh, if we could eliminate legacy uh, admissions, uh, that would open up more opportunities. Yeah. At the same time, talking to my friends in academia, they tell me that uh, universities like Emory and NYU and others have seen this coming for some time. Yeah. And they've made their preparations to try and ensure that they will find other ways. It'll be a lot more costly and a lot more difficult for them uh, to maintain diversity. Yeah. Uh, the decision was, I thought, a pathetic one. It was clearly kind of made up. Uh, we know who brought it, uh, Ed Bloom, who's been chipping away. The other decision that we're going to talk about in a little bit, we now know that there are right-wing groups that have figured out ways that they can make up cases, bring them to the court, and know that they have a court ready, willing, and eager to do their right-wing bidding. And Our, it's not yeah. a great justice system. So I have a couple of things. I want to put down a line in the sand here that maybe if you're willing, um, one, I want to come to this debate uh, just to watch yes. it or do something, and that we should do um, a words matter kind of inspired. Maybe we can take like if it's the team that wins or yeah. somebody, let's get them to be our guests because – uh, that would one I would enjoy it. So I'm being selfish here, but I think it could be a great it, the techniques and things you're teaching them yeah. in this camp are and and having opportunities to be on podcasts like this with someone like you is exactly the kind of opportunity that you know you like man a grade school me or a high school me would never even dream of. So I think so one I'm inviting myself to your debate camp just to be there if anybody needs invitation accepted if anyone needs to debate healthcare you know i know a little bit about that and then if anyone and and we should get some think about some way to get some subset we have an incredible um, new producer riley who will give thanks to but we'll we'll figure out how to do it so we can either do it from there or make it easy um but i think that that's incredible and i want to ask any listener who wants to support this, Norm, if they want to support this effort? It sounds like your family is doing this every year, but is there a website or a place people can learn more about it? Yes, we do it through a foundation in memory of my son uh, who died in January of 2015 and was a national champion high school debater. And if people go to M. Ornstein, M-O-R-N-S-T-E-I-N dot org, they can read all about the camp 
and uh, the other work that. we're doing. Beth, it, well, I've got, uh, I get, I get goosebumps from this now. So you did give me yeah. something happy to think about today, <laughs> because let me tell you why my stomach was turning. And then I am just going to give listeners, some of you, I lived in California when what we called Prop 209, kind of the affirmative, affirmative action ban on public universities in California went into effect. Um, I was training at UCLA at the time. And so I just want to offer like what we know, facts, what we know from that time, because it gives us experience. And there are other states, I believe eight other states that have had yeah. similar bans. So we have some experience and hey, is this going to work? Um, but let me tell you why my stomach was nauseous. I'm Asian American. And some of what was brought forward in this affirmative action case around UNC and in Harvard was actually brought on by a claim made by Asian American students that they were unfairly discriminated against because of these affirmative action policies. I want to make something incredibly clear. I, I say this to everybody, including my own family members. Would any of you trade your lives to be a black person right now? Anybody. Nobody raises their hand. And then I ask many of my white friends, would any of you trade places to be black, brown? Some people describe me as yellow, but any other color. Honestly, Norm, nobody raises nope. their hand. And, and this is, you know, friends and like circumstances. But I'll say I ask friends all the time, would you raise your hand to switch places? And if nobody even like creeps up in, in, the, in the comfort of friends and not on a public podcast for recording, there's your answer. But why it made me nauseous is that this is just Trojan horse mechanisms to somehow pit like Asian, you know, Asians against blacks. And this when here's the truth that this is absolutely a political like this is for people who want to make this even more clear. This is about crafting like an alternative set of facts that, like than what we know. And now I'll get to Prop 209 just very briefly. 1996, California voters approved Proposition 209, an affirmative action ban in the state of California for public universities. Um, before then, I believe UC Berkeley and UCLA were basically kind of uh, trying to match what I would say is the ethnic, racial and ethnic representation population of high school graduates in public schools for their enrollment targets. And that that was like, obviously a point of contention. The ban took effect when I moved to California um, for the first class, 1998, and then um, diversity plummeted. Here are the statistics. Yeah. That year, I pulled them up. That year, in the first year of implementation, enrollment amongst Black and Latino students at UCLA and UC Berkeley fell 40%. This was done by a study um, by a third party. As a result of the ban, they found that Black and Latino students who might otherwise have been enrolled in those two schools enrolled at basically less competitive campuses or did not enroll at all. And then now that they've had so many years that they've actually found in the 15 to 20 years following Prop 209, and you know, correlation is not causation, but we have correlations, that there is actually a 5% lower wage that the cohort prior to 98, again, Black and Latinos, that against their same peers, just time-wise, 5% lower wages that they would have earned had they not you know, been kind of part of this post-Prop 209 ban. And so it's just a it's just basically, and it goes not just at that point when high school students are juniors or seniors, it goes all the way they found into primary school when like if kids even thought about going to college, going to a university was never part of the conversation. And I will say this as like a, when I grew up, people thought I was, um, I, people thought I was ethnically Hispanic because San Antonio, the majority of places were Hispanic. And I, I was told many times that we could not figure out. I was told many times that um, 
that, you know, me applying, this is before the internet, so people can figure out how old I am, like many times that I would not get into an IV or I shouldn't bother applying to any of those universities. And it's funny, Norm, it's because I had no legacy. I mean, my parents yeah. had not gone to any of these schools. And so that's, and, and I was a 4.2 grade, P, you know, GPA student. I had yeah. all the accolades by all standards. So this has nothing to do with, you know, Asians are somehow like, you know, now creating this narrative. And I'll say that's why I was nauseous. And I, and I think that going through 209 and just, again, putting the questions to my friends, like, would you, would you trade places with a black man right now? Not a single person would do it. I, I, I wouldn't do it. And it's because of what we know. Like, and so I, I think there's a very, um, and, and I also think there's an interesting black versus kind of white narrative that's taking place. I mean, I bring up the Latino students at UCLA and UC Berkeley, obviously not just a growing segment of like the United States and the globe, but it's also been interesting that like this has become like a lost narrative too around just all kind of communities and how we are systematically now this court. So I'll stop there. Did you have a conversation? So, so now what, Norm? Tell me. Well, talk about because the court made a point. By the way, if anyone hasn't read it, I will say the part that I have read is Justice Sotomayor's sixty-nine pages and her dissent, oh. and her being, I think she, you could tell, so emotionally took this because of her own upbringing and her chances she got to go to Harvard, and she she described beautifully, like kind of what I think succinctly expresses what I'm saying is nausea. She did it in a much more brilliant, legal, objective fashion. But I think that um, for me, the the slap in the face was uh, one of the closing, it was, I think it was Roberts from the bench. Someone yeah. from the bench in the majority opinion said, to be clear, this does, did not, this does not deter institutions from encouraging applicants to draw from their like racial experience in essays or to talk about how that might've influenced their life. But you just can't consider it when you're doing admissions. <laughs> and I just thought like, wait, what? Okay. So you don't mind having someone just prosaically kind yeah. of going on and on about how hard their life has been or how, how hard their life could be. But you, you know, can't take that into consideration for actual admissions or their statistics. So anyway. And uh, Sotomayor said that that was uh, like putting lipstick on a pig. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, this case was engineered by Ed Bloom, found Asian American students to bring a case, and gave Thomas and Roberts and the others a rationale to divert away from saying, this is a bunch of white people sticking it to black and Hispanic people by giving them a cloak of respectability. And what Thomas did was to go in detail into the discrimination faced by Asian Americans, which is true, and we see plenty of it now, of course, some of it triggered by this notion of the China flu and of people being uh, harassed as a consequence. Mm -hmm. But it was a deflection. It was a tool of deflection uh, that they used to, to make this work. And I thought the most powerful parts of the dissent were really talking about not just the implications directly for the people who are going to be screwed by this decision, but what it means for the society as a whole. And it gets back to your talking about wages. We are a, an extraordinarily diverse society, growing more diverse, 
the workforce is going to have to reflect that. And if we do not have people getting the tools and the training to be the workforce of the future, the entire society is going to suffer. And this puts it into an even broader context, because as this decision comes down, all over parts of the country, we are seeing a war on public education at every level, at the elementary and secondary levels, Mm -hmm. the book banning, the attacks on teachers, the threats to teachers that if you give a book that may or may not be on a banned list, you could be prosecuted. Yep. The lowering of standards in Florida for teachers so that, practically speaking, anybody coming off the street, even without a high school education, might be able to be a teacher. What they're trying to do, and as they're channeling more and more taxpayer dollars into schools of indoctrination and religious schools, they are undermining the whole nature of public education. There's a war on public universities taking away tenure. In Florida, dramatically changing the ideology in New College, Ron DeFascist, Ron DeSantis, excuse me, I misspoke. Yes, I know, get that straight. Uh, um, and what we're seeing now with Greg Abbott in Texas, they're destroying some of the best public universities in the world. And I think it's all part of a larger goal. They want to dumb down the country and they want to give excessive privileges to their own. And, you know, I could take this even more broadly. People in red states who are implementing the draconian anti-abortion provisions in the aftermath of Dobbs, their family members, they're going to be able to get abortions. And they're going to give them to them if they end up in those situations. They just want to stick it to everybody else. And this is a really dark and difficult time for us to get through in this society. I think that just uh, one, having the moment to just kind of accept that like it's, it's dark, it's troubling. It can get honestly, like for me, it was nauseating, but it can get overwhelming just to kind of think about like, you know, how do you move forward? So let's talk about some of the bright spots. You mentioned like just, I, I, I will say another bright spot is that uh, in the DC area, on the heels of the affirmative action announcement yesterday, there was an incredible, like literal physical mobilization. But I I think people are maybe, I I don't know how to say this any other than just putting it out there that kind of like what we had kind of felt like after the Dobbs decision during some of the midterms that we saw people coming out and voting and making a difference at both local elections and some of the state and congressional races. I mean, Norm, maybe we see more people that do exactly that and see how much these elections matter. Does this do us any good for this sitting court in this exact scenario that we're in? No, probably not. But it does give people, as you and I have been speaking about why these elections matter um, and, and why these words from these people who are elected matter, these these are the reasons. And I think that there was some bright spots for me where I saw a lot more youth groups mobilizing. We're going to have much more, I think, awareness by, and I again, racial groups being pitted against each other, all for this foil or this Trojan horse of what is this overt kind of racism and cleansing. And we'll get into our member section to talk about um, the the uh, creative LLC case and, and what I think is 
it feels for me like a little bit of another kind of moment where um, we've we're at an inflection point where private companies can you know refuse to serve protected yeah. classes. One has to beg the question: What is the point of a protected class and the whole purpose of that? But Norm, tell us. Okay, so let's now let's take a step back. We 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 didn't get a chance to put into context for some of our listeners this overhang of you know presidential elections, Bidenomics, Biden polling, some of his lowest numbers, depending on which polls you look at. But even across the polls, you know some of his lowest numbers while he's out on the trail trying to give the message about what he's doing for this country in preparation for the reelect. Put close us out here with ha- put us all into this context. Do you see? Mm-hmm. These are these intersections on this timing with like a moment in our country as we're getting ready and to go into another election cycle. What are you hearing from your friends? You're a strategist yourself for many Democratic yeah. candidates. What are people talking about? How are they doing something to galvanize a, a populace that honestly feels like me, nauseated, frustrated, and sick of the whole thing? So before we do that, Kavita, there's one more element of this decision on affirmative action that we need to stress. Okay. They exempted the military. Oh, the military academies. academies. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. And I'm sorry. That, um, right. I, I, I just sat up straight when I saw that. Also nauseating because we'll yeah, let black it, people die for our country well, to fight for know, them. Well, in the dissent, but, you know. Sotomayor <laughs> talked about this and saying uh, they're okay for the bunkers, but not the boardrooms. Yeah. No, but that's I, right. I also think. What it tells us is the military academies put people in leadership positions. These are the officers. And that the Defense Department for our national security believes that affirmative action so we can get a diverse group of leaders Mm -hmm. is going to protect us better. But the rest of the society, screw them. Uh, So, you know, we can't leave without noting that ridiculous anomaly that was built into this decision. Mm-hmm. More broadly, uh, you know, it's been interesting to watch. Biden is now traveling and speaking a lot more and yep. getting ridiculed by the right a lot more for it, often with made up things. Yesterday, he did an interview in studio with Nicole Wallace. Yeah. And they had a very uh, quite good discussion And then at the end, they chatted for a second and ended the segment. He got up and took his microphone off and walked off the stage, as many of us who've ever done television have done, perfectly appropriately as Nicole went to commercial. And it's being portrayed all over uh, Twitter as he uh, didn't know where he was and was walking around confused. Confused. So there is a huge effort made to focus on this idea that he is an addled man. And then, of course, we get this ridiculous uh, revelation treated as big news that he's using a CPAP machine because he has sleep apnea. I know, as I'm sure you do, dozens of people with uh, sleep apnea. Oh, yeah. uh, And many of them using CPAP machines. I know people in their 20s who are using CPAP machines, mm-hmm. but the idea that this reflects some hidden right. problem uh, or that it was uh, concealed is another part of the nonsense. Right. Now, I think what you've raised are a couple of important points. 
one that I'll raise even further myself. By most standards, the economy is going gangbusters. Unemployment's at 3.7%. Mm-hmm. Real wages have gone up. Mm-hmm. Inflation has come down at a level still higher than we would like. But if you're going to do a trade-off that says uh, 3.7% unemployment from what was over 11% uh, in the final year of Trump, uh, and it'll bring us to 4 to 5% inflation, most people would have said, please give me that, as opposed to low inflation and 10% unemployment. We're seeing this resurgence in manufacturing that no one might have predicted, a lot of it because of transitioning to a green economy. But the public doesn't see it or believe it. They still think that we are in difficult economic times. And I'm not sure how you get around that or how you get around the concerns about Biden's age. But with all of that, we know that Biden's approval at this point is not much different than what uh, Barack Obama's was at this stage of his first yeah, term. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. We know that voters have not seen directly what yeah. some of these other Republican candidates are like. Yeah. My greatest concern remains the threat of no labels, uh, a group that could come up with an independent candidate that would do more to ensure a Republican victory or an election going to the House than anything else. But in a head-to-head contest between Joe Biden and uh, any of these Republicans, unless we have a complete collapse in the course of the next year, uh, I wouldn't be uh, deeply concerned. Yeah, no, I... I, um... I'm glad you brought a lot of like kind of just putting some context into kind of where we are with respect to where Barack Obama was. And, and it's funny. I mean, I should know, right. I, I was, I was there for the early part of the administration and, uh, and what, what troubles me is that there's very little kind of appetite for facts. And so those moments, I'm, I have to be honest with you. When I saw Joe Biden walk off, I was like, Oh my God. I, I like, as it was unfolding, I was like, I know exactly where this conversation is going to go. Yeah. And what people didn't realize as you have, since you've been on TV and I've been on TV is that it's actually not normal for a sitting president to go into another studio. Like I, I actually thought yeah. the whole thing was um, very rare for him to come on set with Nicole. Yeah. Almost every interview with the president is done with Nicole going to the East Room, to the Oval, yeah. to this, right? So it is very unusual to have a sitting president in studio for anything. And when you're in studio, even people like me who have done TV a lot in studio, like it's very confusing, like which way, because they do tell you like when you're done, you can get yeah. up and then you're just like, okay, I'll just get up. I've done the exact same thing where I've accidentally like walked in the wrong direction and usually because I'm not president of the United States, there's somebody like going like, no, go that way. I, I, I so I saw the whole thing thinking, I know how this narrative is going to be spun. I know exactly what's going to happen. Same thing with the CPAP conversation. By the way, just for the record, millions of Americans are on CPAP. There are actually, an that's an underestimate of the number of Americans who need CPAP because to get CPAP, you have to actually go through um, a cumbersome sleep study and guess what? Not a lot of people like doing that. And it's also sometimes hard to get paid for by insurance. And so anyway, I will just put the myth out there that if anybody thinks having CPAP is somehow one special or to a sign that you're like medically um, foregone, 
then guess what? Probably about 20% of this population is so, such that. So I, all of those things are true. And, and maybe we'll leave, I'll, I'll close where we started with. I want to have listeners um, read Sonia Sotomayor's opinion. It is, it is probably the best 69 pages to kind of learn, um, not just whatever your opinions are. And we welcome people who disagree with what we just said. Read her opinion, because I, I do think she lays out bare from the perspective of someone herself who has benefited from a lot of the policies that are now not going to exist at places like Harvard or Yale and and a lot of the things that we've discussed. I think that it's worth just being educated on that. And nothing can be a better place for education than the debate camp that mornstein.org has set up. And I want everyone to try to visit the website. I am inviting myself since I'm local to go see it. And then I, I also feel like um, Norm will will be able to bring listeners an incredibly refreshing set of voices because I have a gut feeling they're going to um, smack all of us with uh, how amazing they are. So I'm I'm very excited about that. And in in closing, we want to just thank everyone for joining us. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe. Add this. We're on all the feeds: Apple, Spotify, you name it. Share this episode, especially this episode. Please share with your friends because it mentions. Norm's Family Foundation, and what an incredible memory for Matthew. And try to become a member of the DSR Network. We're going to talk in a minute about um, Creative LLC and and the Supreme Court decision. And I want to thank our new producer, Riley Fessler, and our executive producer, Chris Cottonmore of the DSR Network. And our next episode of Words Matter should be in your boxes around July 6th. And have a happy 4th of July.